This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. After the opening four rounds of the 2022 MotoGP World Championship, it's still anyone's guess as to who might well come out on top. It's far too early for that. Yamaha continue to struggle. Marc Marquez has proven he is simply not human and rumours swirl around rider moves already. It's also Portugal race week as the Premier Class and Moto2 and Moto3 return to the Algarve. The recording date is Monday the 18th of April. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren and former uh, Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewin and uh, hello once again gents thanks for joining us it's bank holiday Monday in the UK so we should be all having a day off but we're here working hard um let's start then uh first four rounds done Keith um and some of the talking points that have come out lately as we head to Europe for the first time is around the reigning champion Fabio Quattararo and it has not been the start to the season he certainly wanted he certainly expected and now rumors rife that he will be looking elsewhere. Could you even see that as a potential move? A Quattararo elsewhere if Yamaha don't get their act together? Great thing about this time of the year is, is it, I, I like sitting on the Urta deck at the truck track. You know, you sit in the paddock and the Urta deck has got this elevated area, the, the silver tower of the International Race Teams Association. Mike Trimby's office is one side, wife Irene and all the other management teams on the other side of it. And, and in the middle of the steps, and you step up to the, the tower of Urta, if you like. And you can sit on the little, if you're lucky, sit on the little tables and watch all the management scurrying around in the paddock behind this truck, behind that truck. You know, most management figures uh, look after multiple riders. So therefore, it's like a jigsaw. They're trying to get them all into the ride that they want to get them all in, where they're going to get dropped from, where they're going to get moved to. Very powerful times at the moment. Quattararo is still in the driving seat. You know, look what he's doing with that Yamaha. Look what everyone else isn't doing with a Yamaha. And that's the key. Quattararo is still in the driving seat. So it doesn't matter whether he's going to leave Yamaha or not. Whatever happens, it's going to be good for him in the long run. We all talked about this pre-season. You know, what a Yamaha got, what are they bringing to the table? Well, it appears nothing this year. And I would be, if I was, I'd be spitting tax if I was Quattararo and his management. He's riding still really, really well. Everybody's moved on, you know, but not Yamaha. You've only got to look at what everyone else is doing in, in, in Yamaha's teams. It's just, you know, Davizioso, waste of time. Davizioso, you know, Dovi will only ride if he's got an opportunity or ride really on the edge if he's got an opportunity. 
you know, he's, he's always been renowned for not particularly pushing his luck on a motorbike that isn't capable of doing what he wants it to do. And that's clearly what's happening there. Either that or he's become just a little bit too old and complacent now, and that's him done, um, which I don't believe. I think Dobby, you know, is a, is a superb rider still. Morbidelli, what on earth happened to Morbidelli? Is he still carrying an injury, I wonder? Because he just doesn't seem to have any... But he's another one, like Dovi. He's a bit of a cerebral type, isn't he? He's a bit more of a thinker. And I think that those types of riders won't push the envelope until they've got what they need to to do the ultimate business, to be a podium uh, runner. Whereas Quattararo maybe just pushes his luck a little bit more and he's prepared to put it on the line a bit more. You know, Yamaha are in big trouble this year. And bigger trouble moving forward you talk about contracts and stuff like that and management huh, we've already heard top rack Rasgardioglu, who is an absolute grand prix star in the in the wings waiting to come will he go to yamaha i wouldn't have said so not the way things are at the moment i mean why would you you know he might be world champion again this year at uh, world superbike but would you go to motor gp yamaha team i don't think you would i don't think he should and uh, keenan sofoglu his manager certainly won't make a, a, a mistake on that front the, the silence as far as rider announcements has been deafening, isn't it? We, I think we expected deals to be done early. There was a couple of done just you know, at the start of the season. And now it seems like everyone's kind of waiting, aren't they? Quattararo obviously being among them to just see, well, you know, which manufacturers are going to emerge here with the best bikes. If Ducati offered you a deal at the end of last year with that, that end of season run that, that Banyaya had, you'd have snapped it up, wouldn't you? Now everyone just seems to be waiting, don't they? Mia hasn't signed yet. We keep hearing, you know, they want to continue. Suzuki want to continue. Mia's saying sort of positive things, but there's no deal yet. Quattararo, we keep hearing his manager, Eric Mahe, who's not someone who, not someone who wastes a word, is a, is a description I've heard about him. He's a very straight-talking guy, you know, and if he says that they're looking at whatever is the best option for Fabio, you've got to believe that. He's not someone that I've come across who's who just says things and, you know, to put things out there, should we say, and, and, and make ripples. He's not that kind of guy. So you've got to believe that, that Fabio is considering, well, what is my best option here? Could he could even he have imagined he'd be in this situation after four races, you know, no wins going into this European season? Maybe he's starting to, you know, really think about where his best future might be. Um, yeah, it's, it's not worked out as they thought, is it? You know, we're going into the European season with, no wins by any Japanese manufacturers. It, it's been a real upset this start of the year, and uh, it's great for us watching. But I think, yeah, the riders and their managers, they've got a, a lot of hard thinking to do, where maybe they might have thought the obvious option was to stay where they were. Maybe now they are starting to look around. Well, you've come out of the tech freeze, which um, suddenly, after two years of being tech frozen because of the, the pandemic, <clears throat> so suddenly stuff didn't come to the fore that you might have expected. Ducati, eight bikes on the grid, but haven't performed in the way that you might have expected. Suzuki are sort of there or thereabouts. Yamaha have failed effectively. Aprilia are the biggest things that have chucked the spanner in the works. You know, everybody's wondering, how good is Aleish? Is what most people are thinking at the moment. Was it Aleish? Was it the bike? You know, was it just one of those days where Aleish, you know, was going so well that, that you know, but the bike looks good. And they've still got concessions at the moment. They won't have by the end of the year. I think that Aleish will be, he's one of my top three for this weekend, by the way. So I've nicked him before anybody says that. Aleish is Fargo. I think, he, you know, he's on for it still. I think, they, you know, Kota was a was a miserable day for him, but it always is for him at, uh, at, at Kota. He never seems to have a great time at uh, in Texas. Um, so maybe the Aprilia factor has also steadied all the management up a bit. Well, let's just have a look and see where this Aprilia is heading at the minute. Maybe there's a, a situation here where we can pick off a, a decent ride or something. It's really, this is probably the most difficult year to predict where things are going next year. Um, 
I can't think of it. Hang on, Harry. Formula One. Do you remember when um, Lewis signed for Mercedes and we all went, bloody hell, that doesn't seem like a good idea. What a big <laughs> what mistake. There. It's about yeah, predicting the future. Absolutely. And it's it's quite a tricky one for predicting the future as it is at the moment in MotoGP. You know, what are Yamaha got in? You know, are Yamaha just behind in their engineering? Does that mean that they just didn't get it to the, that cutoff point, the homologation cutoff point in Qatar, just didn't get whatever they've got in the pipeline ready in time? Have they got these, you know, some brilliant stuff up their sleeve that will be coming out at the end of this year when we start testing again for next year? I don't know. I mean, and nobody does. It's it's going to be up to management to do due diligence. Manager of Sam Lowe's, when Sam went to Aprilia, um, they did, you know, Roger Burnett went to Aprilia, checked everything out, did as much due diligence as any manager could do at the time and signed Sam to Aprilia. It was a disaster. You know, the second bike was never quite what it should have been. You know, as we know, Aprilia are a bit... Uh, ruthless when it comes to second riders um, and quite a lot of them being British at the, uh, you know, in the years. Um, you can only do so much. It's like crystal ball time. Who's got the biggest crystal balls? Well, that's the ultimate question. Well, you just saying that thing about Hamilton has made me sort of think, well, is that what Vinales has maybe done? Signed to Aprilia, everyone's gone, why has he done that? And then, wait a year, you never know. Stranger things have happened. He didn't know where where to go. I don't think at the time with Vinales. I think um, you know, like it was one of them ones where I think he just wanted the pressure taken off of him at the time. I mean, the Yamaha move. I, I think his 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 biggest regret was leaving Suzuki. I would imagine because he didn't want to leave Suzuki, but Yamaha was where he had to go. It was if you could you could have you could run this same scenario over again year after year after year, and he'd do exactly the same thing. He'd regret mm. leaving Suzuki, but you would still go to Yamaha because that was the team yeah. at the time. And it would seem that Vinales, the way he was riding, should have gone to Yamaha. Um, but with hindsight, of course, wonderful thing, um, he should have stayed at Suzuki. Well, look, we spoke about Maverick for months on end, it seemed, like last year as well. I'm sure we'll, we'll continue chatting about him. But I just wanted to pick up on something you said about Dovi earlier. You know, he, he he's struggling with this bike at the moment, Pete. And he, he's, a, he's older, you know, he's one of the older riders. I think he's 36 at the moment. And we've seen throughout motorsport, you know, riders drivers they get younger and younger by the year darren binder coming in from moto 3 making that jump 24 years old currently you know outperforming if you look at the the facts uh his older more experienced teammate do you look at you know the seats occupied by dovian and and people like him up and down the grid and think well is it it's harsh but you know is is time moved on is it time to give other people youngsters we've seen how talented the moto 2 and moto 3 paul is is he just wasting a seat there? You've got to... With Yamaha, I think they were lacking experience, weren't they? I think they wanted somebody to come in and really... You know, they've got young guys on the bikes, haven't they? We know the fast young guys. Dovi's come in. He's ridden all the... He's ridden the Ducati. He's ridden the Aprilia recently as well. Of course, in the Honda in the past. Now he's back on the Yamaha. He, he's got all this experience. And, and he was saying, actually, after the race on, on, on Sunday in Austin... Uh, you know, he said, I've said the same thing since I got on this bike in Mizano last year. It lacks grip. It lacks overall grip and it specifically lacks rear grip. And he said, the only way you can go fast on it is this Quattararo style. And this is why the Morbidelli's, the other guys, they, they just can't. He said, it's such a narrow range. You have to make the speed without using the rear grip. Interesting that Miller said the same thing about Bastianini's riding style after the race, you know, that, that he was 
making the speed without using the rear grip. So it does seem like this this characteristic, this skill, or, or whatever you want to call it, is really becoming important in MotoGP at the moment. And the guys that have it are making such a difference. Now, why that's happening, why it's suddenly come to the fore like this, nobody's really sure. Miguel Oliveira was saying that, again, everyone's talked about this narrow range of, of getting the, the, the tyres and the bike to work or not work. Why has it become like this? And, you know, is it the aerodynamics? That was, that was Oliveira's theory. You know, is that sort of making this everything just that little bit more of a knife edge in terms of getting it right or wrong? But certainly Dobby was clear. He said, look, this is the issue we have. And you either ride it like Quattararo, which is very, very difficult. He said it's a, it's a completely unique style. He said Quattararo was fast on this bike from the moment he got on it. it. It works with his style. But for the other guys, mentioning Morbidelli, of course, you know, Morbidelli is a proven winner, you know, title runner up on a year old bike. And the look on his face when the cameras were showing him in the pits in, in Austin, you could just see he's having a, you know, a horrible time of it at the moment. He's sat there looking across at Quattararo. Okay, Quattararo, it's not going perfectly for him either, is it? Let's be honest. But still, when you've got such a gap to that guy, it's it's like the Mark and the Honda guys, isn't it, of years past. So, yeah, I mean, Dovi's situation, all he can do is, is pass on his experience. As I say, did, did Yamaha, did they hire him partly because they wanted someone, Rossi leaving, you know, wanted someone to just give them that experience of other bikes and be able to tell them, look, this is what the bike needs. But trouble is, people want to see action on it, don't they? Whether it's Dovi or it's Quattarara, they want to see movement on it. And we're just not seeing... When was the last time you heard about a new part arriving at Yamaha? I mean, uh, I, I can't think of when that, that happened. Um, so even, you know, we know the bike is very similar from winter testing. That was the words that the riders used. And we haven't seen anything yet. Now, the European season is starting now. You get some post-race tests, things like that. Maybe we will start to see things. But as Keith said, the, the things are homologated. They're locked in place, you know. And, and so there's really not much they can do. They can tweak around the edges. But... Again, if you're looking to the future and you're your top racks manager, someone else, and you're trying to predict, well, is this bike going to make a step? You're looking at sort of you want to see a pattern of of improvements over previous years, but you know, Yamaha have had these issues for many years now, and I, I don't know whether they'd be the first choice for for many riders now. In answer to your question, Dobby probably is done purely and simply. I think he's always going to be a fast rider, but I think he's done from the point of view that his approach to the way things are done now is too old fashioned. It's got to be on it right now. I want, in my ear hole is is like Casey Stoner. You know, I'm just thinking what Casey's making of all of this at the moment because there's a man with the best right hand in the business. You know, when it comes to forget about electronics, all the things he hated, it's about finding that grip. It's about finding where it is, that fine little line. British Superbikes at the weekend. Anybody watch BSB at the weekend? Silverstone, Sunshine, you know, Glennie Irwin, absolutely brilliant found that sweet spot where you can do 30 laps without knackering the tire out and putting yourself in the position it was all about in his right hand and that's the casey stoner syndrome that is where riders are finding that extra little bit of grip and not using it now bastianini you talked about him real smooth operator with a motorbike they've got to find it there's not the time for dobby to work it out dial it in basically ponce about trying to find that fine line. You've got to get down and find it for yourself. The whole thing about bike racing, from club racing to the top line MotoGP, is it's about the rider still more than it is the platform. Again, if we look at you know the analogy with Formula One to MotoGP, platform, put a driver in it out of the top, guys, he's probably going to win on the best platform. George Russell, when he jumped in Lewis Hamilton's car, 
basically should have won. He could have won it twice. We've talked about this before. If the team hadn't mucked him about and mucked him up, basically they screwed his, his first ever win. But in MotoGP, a rider, where he is on the bike, what he's doing with the bike, where his body is, all the little nuances that you get from a rider, that trick stuff that you cannot do when you're strapped in and holding onto a steering wheel, all those things make for a fast lap time or a fast race time. And that's where we're going nowadays. We've seen, you know, there are riders who can put down one fast lap, use up all the tire, get the absolute 100% out of the bike, the tires for that lap that they need for qualifying. And then there are those that have got that wonderful right hand that can make it work. It's all on the right hand, isn't it? Brakes and throttle. You know, you got the best right hand in the business at the minute. It seems you can get to the front. I mean, Anaya Bastianini's ride, you know, you watch him and you're in awe a little bit because you can't see just what he's doing with that bike or what he's not doing with the bike in some respects. Um, it's just so smooth. It's like, you know, that old thing that, um, that Jorge, used, Jorge Lorenzo used to say, knife through butter. I mean, it's the way to ride a bike at the moment, it would seem. And with Michelin, uh, sorry, yeah, with Michelin being the way they are, you know, there's these little changes that Michelin keep making. And it kind of throws everybody's data out. So it's down to the rider to find that sweet spot quick, early. I think what we were expecting when, when Yamaha signed Dovi was it would almost be like the Pramac and the factory Ducati relationship where Yamaha would use Dovi to develop parts and then hand them over to the factory team. And that, I think, kind of made sense to a lot of people. OK, you know, it's, it's you know, you can see what their thinking is behind that. But. We're not seeing development, so it's, well, you know. Didn't, didn't we hear that from Yamaha right back in the day when they first formed the Sepang International Circuit team? I mean, like the, the, I, I don't understand that whole concept as it is at the moment. They've lost Patronus as a sponsor, so they've got no money now. You know, they're, they're, they're running MotoGP. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit more of a shoestring affair than it was before. You know, I've not seen throughout the time, and unless it's been going on somewhere behind the scenes, I've not seen any of these so-called development parts and so-called this, that, and the other. And, you know, it just doesn't seem to have happened. What happened to the, the test team that, that they were talking about at one stage when they signed, you know, fast riders to that? Well, you know, where's Cal? Has Cal been doing any testing lately? I, not that I've heard of. You know, it seems very strange. It's like it's like lip service almost. We, Yamaha have said a lot of things, but they haven't done a lot of things. And, and, I, and I think that Quattararo is going to be frustrated by that. And... If they lose Quattararo, it is wholly and solely, it, the, the buck stops completely with Yamaha. They've not given him, A, what it appears they've promised, and B, what he needs. It would certainly be a, a big statement, wouldn't it? i tell you who's also under pressure, though. It's uh, Jack Miller, who uh, a lot of talk recently from himself, too, about, you know, oh, possible demotion to the Pramac Ducati team. That wouldn't bother him. He was full of praise for Bastianini. He said, it's not the bike, it's the rider who's been making the difference. And Anaya's just had it. And uh, we've also had a question from Christopher Flint, who says, um, on your point about Aleish and Aprilia earlier too, I think Aleish's past is used by date, and I'm not surprised he has not been able to negotiate a contract yet for next year. Aprilia should offer that seat to Jack, who will make the difference with Maverick. So, Keith, what do you make of that? And also, you know, Miller, it seems like there's potential movement on the horizon there, either way you look at it. Well, I think Mr. Flint's got that about right, hasn't he? Because, you know, you don't, is it the bike? Is it Aleish? You know, Aleish has always had one lap fast in him. He's always, you know, we talked about screen biting, going, you know, bite the screen and get that one, one fast lap out of him. Um, but race-wise, he's never quite managed to, to pin it together until this year so far. So, 
I understand what you're saying. I mean, I think Alesh deserves perhaps a, 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 you know, let's see where he goes this year. It's it's all, it's going to be one of the ones where it's up in the air. Jack Miller, will he do any better than, than Alesh? Hmm, difficult to say at this moment in time. Will he be bothered about going back to Pramac? I doubt it. The parties are certainly better, so he'd probably prefer it there, to be honest. Socially, it's certainly a better place to be. Um, so it's kind of one of them ones where Jack Miller, Jack Miller's underperformed this year, and I, I haven't been able to understand it quite in, in any kind of depth. But then again, Ducati have underperformed. It's, they've been very inconsistent. You know, Bagnaia, where's he been? At? You know, there's, there's so much to talk about regarding Ducati. When we thought eight bikes on the grid, all that data, all that stuff, um, is, is going to make for a very fast manufacturer. And I, and I had visions of, of all the other manufacturers complaining about the amount of bloody, you know, bikes on the track that, that are called Ducati. Um, but they must be smiling, I would think, at the moment, because the investment of Ducati, they still can't do anything right for, for however hard they try. I mean, I think it's hard to talk about replacing someone who's third in the World Championship and what, Vinales is 14th. <laughs> yes. So uh, I think, you know, at yeah. the end of the day, it's about results, isn't it? And at the moment, Aleish bringing in the results. And I think a lot of us thought that Maverick would take the lead with this project when he came in. You know, give him a couple of races and he will, a bit like when they were teammates at Suzuki and Maverick was was clearly, and he came, arrived at Suzuki as a rookie, by his second year, he was a step above Aleish. Well, we're now coming into the European season. He's done, what, six races? He's done a handful of tests as well on the bike. And Aleish is still, in terms of the championship, a long way ahead of Maverick. So I think Aleish's situation kind of reminds me of Caparossi when he moved to Ducati at the start of the MotoGP era. And he kind of been, he was angry with Honda, wasn't he? He never quite got that support from Honda as a factory rider and things like that when he was at the Pons team. And he, he, was, just, he was just desperate for a chance to show what he could do. And that was why Ducati picked him over Max Biaggi, who Biaggi at that point decided, look, you need a Honda to win. I want to be on a Honda. Caparossi was just desperate to be a factory rider, have that support. He went to Ducati, completely fired up and grabbed his chance. And I think Aleish, you know, he's been, we've spoken about this before. He came into this year as the only guy who hadn't won a race. You know, now he's got this chance. This is the best chance of Aleish's career to win races, to be on the podium. And I think he's... He's just got to give it everything, isn't he? And, and we'll see what he does with it. But he's got everything in place now. This is the moment for Aleish. And so, you know, I wouldn't underestimate him now. I think that he's showing what he can do versus Maverick, as we know, who's one of the most talented guys in MotoGP when things all go ahead or go to plan, shall we say. So I don't know. I think it's hard to, you know, we were talking about Dovi maybe underperforming, but I mean, Aleish, third in the World Championship, 11 points on the top. I, I mean... It's not I'd good enough, it. Pete. It's not good enough. I'm afraid I'd probably give that guy a deal. <laughs> <laughs> but we've still got 15 races to go. Bloody long way yet. Yeah, true. It's it's a hell of a way, isn't it? Um, let's If we shift focus then, rather than scrutinising third in the world's standings <laughs> and saying that he needs to fuck up his ideas, um, should we have a look at the rookies and how they've got on so far? We've got uh, Marco Bezzecchi, Darren Binder, Remy Gardner, Ralph Fernandez, uh, and Fabio Di Giantonio. Uh, Bezzecchi currently the best of the rookies, in the standings at least, in uh, in 18th. Um, but Keith, how have you uh, seen our rookies perform? Well, there was a lot of, especially a lot of heavy scrutiny on Darren Binder, who I think has performed above expectations so far. Still, as you say, a long way to go, though. Yeah, I think Darren Binder, I mean, he's shown flashes of, of, of near brilliance, hasn't he, really, to, to not hit anybody to start with, which is pretty useful. I mean, he started his year very, very well, Darren Binder. He came in here with a fairly large name for being slightly overly aggressive, particularly in the braking area. And I think he's done a great job. I really do think he's done a great job. I think he can ride a motorbike brilliantly and, and he's exciting. So 
you know, fingers crossed for Darren for the rest of the year. I think for me, I mean, Tech 3 have been a bloody disappointment. I mean, KTM have been a disappointment overall, but the, the satellite team in, in Tech 3 with Hervé Poncheral and Guy Coulon, the management there, I mean, they must be devastated. I mean, they, they, they basically went to, when they didn't get the Yamaha satellite deal sorted out, they went to KTM. KTM were a bit on the up, um, but they've been disappointing across the board, I think, as well. You talk about Ducati being disappointed. What about KTM being disappointed? Um, yeah. They've chucked the kitchen sink at it a bit this year, and it hasn't really worked out for them so far. Um, especially when they come off the back of um, you know some great performances over the last couple of years. So KTM's progress has been thwarted, and I think that's that's kind of held back the likes of Remy Gardner as well. Which you know you might I know he's got a hand in um, a wrist injury, but you know. We're yet to see the best from the rookies. You know, I think that there's, it's, it's not quite been, Bezeki has got on really, really well, which has he got on better than I thought he was going to get? Well, I think he has actually. I, I don't think I had, you know, Bezeki, we know he can ride a motorbike, but I didn't have him as a top rookie at, at the time. But then again, what the hell do we know? Because we get it wrong every week. <laughs> That's something I think I might ask you at the end, who's going to be your top rookie come the end of the season. So get thinking of that. I think that'll be a nice little uh, thing to throw in the mix. But it's interesting you bring up the KTM point, especially with Tech 3, because right now it clearly is not a, a rider issue, is it, Pete? Because they've got Remy Gardner, Ralph Fernandez, you know, uh, not really performing any better than, than Ica Laquona uh, did last year in their lineup as well with, with the little Petrucci. So clearly that's that's a team issue there, it seems like. Well, as Keith was saying, the bike, unfortunately, they, they were trying to get rid of this sort of up and down spiky performance, as Oliveira called it, where they're fantastic one week and then they, they sort of struggle to, to fight for the top six the next. And unfortunately, that, that trend seems to have continued. Now, Brad Binder's been a bit unlucky. He's been there, you know, in qualifying. He's had a few issues and he started down the grid, that kind of thing. So not, you know, maybe that mass things a little bit. But I think you've got to say, as Keith says, it's... it's the problem is still there with this with this bike on its day when Oliveira won, didn't he, in the wet in in Indonesia? When the bike works and it works with the rider, they're fantastic. But they just they can't get it to happen often enough to put together this this sort of championship challenge or top three challenge that they're kind of expected to do this year from their from their top management. So, yeah, I think I think people did expect more from the Tectoir guys. Obviously, with their first and second in last year's Moto Two Championship. I mean, these these are two fantastically talented young guys, and at the moment, it's not working for them. Why is that? We're not sure. Is it because, as you say, is it the bike? Is it the team? Um, you know, looking at Bezeki, I think he's Bezeki and Darren Binder are the two standout rookies so far, aren't they? I think for the that's pretty obvious from the two opening rounds. They've they've had their moments. Bezeki in practice, actually, I suppose Darren Binder as well. There's been some sessions where he's been really high up and shown that. Yeah, you know, once he gets the hang of this bike, he could be uh, you know seriously impressive on it. So. Fabio Di Giantonio, another rookie on the same bike. Maybe I think perhaps we expected a bit more from him also because he was really fast on his first test on the bike last year in Jerez. He was the fastest rookie, which did surprise us. So he, he was sick in Sepang, wasn't he? And, and things like that. But, uh, you know, maybe I think we'd have expected him to be in the points. But yeah, definitely. I think we would all have said, if you were looking at rookies of the year before the start of the season, you'd have expected both Tectoire guys to be leading that battle. And uh, yeah, it hasn't happened for them yet. Sticking with Tech 3, you know, like one of the problems you've got, it doesn't matter how good your team is behind the counter. The fact of the matter is you've got two rookies in there and they get lost. You know, you've got a motorcycle that's not working properly and where the hell do they go? They've got no, you've got no personal data from, from, from a rider perspective on how to fix something. It's every time they go out. And we know that there's not enough time, track time. You know, when you turn out for FP1, you're, you're trying, to, trying to qualify straight away through to 
through through the qualifying sessions. It's qualifying for qualifying, as we always say. Fact is, if you're all at sea, you know, Rayol might be making one you know mistake in one direction. Remy might be making a mistake in the other direction. You've got no base. You know, got you know baseline to be working from. That's when a dovey in the team sort of holds on to the ship slightly and steadies it all up. You know, it's it's really really difficult when you you know you've got some clever people at the background of of, of uh, Tech Three, but it's rider input. You know, if you go in the wrong direction, there's no time to fix it. When you know you, you could go all the way down. The, you know, what what did Alex Briggs used to call it in the MR camp when Alex worked for Valentino Rossi? Was it the the, the, the gunpowder bloody solution or something where you just fire everything at it <laughs> and hope it comes out all right? You know, but you can only do that if if you if you've got a, a reasonable amount of knowledge, as Alex did, of course, with Valentino back in the day. But um, once you're going down the wrong route on free practice one on a Friday, you're basically set for the weekend. There just isn't the time to, to 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 make that catch up. And then you get to the race and you're halfway, you know, more than that, back of the grid. And you've got to work with and every time you pass a rider, he's you know, a tenth of a second faster than you were in, in practice. The next one is two tenths of a second faster than you were in practice. The next one's three tenths of a second faster. It's just a, a compounding problem. You've got to try and make your way through the field. So the chances are you, you're probably not going to make your way through the field. Really, really difficult from a rider and a team perspective. Uh, not a place I'd want to be, that's for sure. Tech 3 is difficult. At the moment. Certainly is difficult as well. I think splitting the rookies, interestingly, is Alex Marquez and Dovi. So we're out of these sort of more experienced riders. They're the ones languishing at the bottom. Um, we've got a couple of uh, listener questions that have come in. Always lovely to hear from you as well. Um, one of them actually, I think it picks up on something, Pete, you said earlier, how you haven't seen Yamaha bring anything notable in these opening races. And um, D Smith, don't know what the D stands for. Um, what is the reason for the reduction in testing time? No wonder teams don't want to make too many changes or bring anything too soon. You blow a season trying to dial the bike in, it seems. Well, more races, wasn't it? That was the, that was, that was your, the, the deal with the teams, if you like, between the organizers was, well, look, we'll, we'll swap a race weekend or a test for a race weekend. So you, you increase the calendar, which obviously the, the, the circuits pay a large amount of money to hold races. So that brings in money and it's shown on TV. And obviously that's points for the world championship and everything else. So you swap them for tests. And by doing that, it's keeps the number of days away from home the same, should we say that's, that's basically the idea. But as Keith has raised <laughs> quite repeatedly, you know, you've still got to do all of that testing work in a much smaller space of time. And uh, yeah, you get what you, what we see in these early rounds where teams are not really prepared. They're still looking for a base setting, as they keep telling us. So yeah, that that's the downside to it. I just don't get it, Harry. I mean, I really, really don't get it. I mean, I think that MotoGP have got some very intelligent people uh, trackside. That's for certain. Really, really clever people. But somehow they've, they've been a bit dim on this front. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that there should have been more time for testing. You can't come to the end of a tech freeze and expect, you know, whatever there is in the pipeline to be tested at Mandalika, a brand new track that was breaking up anyway and wasn't, they had no data for before. So everything there is pretty much negated by the time they got there to race. You know, and the other one was Sepang, where it's like the Sweat Olympics. You know, you've got, you know, it's a really tricky racetrack anyway. Good racetrack, but, but really tricky. And that's it. You know, they were, okay, they were test, test for... for the non-factory riders and so on and so forth and for rookies and, and other little trimmings around the edges. But what they should have done was said, right, 
tech freeze, you know, actually the homologation comes now, Portugal. So all this stuff that we've had before, you can bring upgrades and bits and pieces to the table, providing it's approved by the by the manufacturers and you know and within the rules, of course. Um, but tech freeze starts, you know, the homologation cutoff is Portugal. You know, that would have eased all that pressure. And they're not going to be spending any more, yeah, okay, they're spending more money on development stuff. Of course they are, but it will have given an opportunity for the teams to catch up by the time we got to where we are. Now, maybe Yamaha, I alluded to it earlier on, maybe Yamaha have got stuff in the pipe. They just didn't get it out there in time for Qatar for when that was when that cutoff came. We can't know what's going on behind the scenes. You can be fairly sure that Yamaha didn't stitch themselves up on purpose, and that's exactly what's happened. Um, and Ducati, they were ahead of the game. Now, <laughs> they might want to go a bit more retro. They might have got to Portugal and gone back to last year's bike because <laughs> the one that they homologated in Qatar doesn't seem to be working quite as well as the one previously. Um, so the, 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 there's surely an argument for, for more testing. I understand the financial side of it. You know, you're increasing the amount of time away from home and all the rest of it. Well, hang on a second. This is what we do. You know, I, I, I kind of don't have quite the sympathy that, that there seems to be out in the world for, for, the, for the teams. If the teams don't have the personnel to do the job that they're doing, then don't do the job. You know, I understand that, you know, the, the stresses and strains that teams have. But that is the job. That is what we do. You know, long haul, long haul. I hear people complaining about long haul flights. What? You know, read a book, get on with it. I, I don't understand why this is such a major problem for so many people. It is knackering. It is really, really tough. But that is the job. That's what this is. It's MotoGP. It's the cutting edge. It's the, they're the fittest. They've got the fastest bikes. They've got the most budget. This is what we do. You know, maybe maybe it needs to go like NASCAR. You know, where you've got two t sets of team personnel. You know, they're leapfrogging each other through the forty-round season of NASCAR or whatever it is nowadays. You know, they go. You know, they've got two sets of teams and they run these these teams in in parallel almost. They leapfrog each other over the next round. I'm not saying that's how it should be, but there must be other ways of, of relieving your team, taking some of the stress out of it. Um, to be able to manage this in the way they do, you go back. I mean, you go back to two-stroke days. Those blokes worked every single night of every single day of the week because the bikes were so fragile. It wasn't a case of plugging in a computer and dialing in a new set of bloody settings or whatever it was. It was strip the entire motor every single night. Crack test. Yeah, who's ever heard of that nowadays? Crack test all the pistons, crack test anything that might be vulnerable. You know, you had to spray it with some stuff and watch it develop to see if you got any cracks in it, replace it with some new parts, whatever it was at the time. This went on every single night of the week. Blokes will burn in the midnight oil. You could get, you could wake up any time in the paddock and find someone to talk to. The tents were, you know, tents. <laughs> there you go. That's how old it was. Um, I'm not saying it should go back to that. But basically, hard work is what it's all about. Hard work, dedication, and, and you know, I struggle slightly when, when I hear these, these things that, that we shouldn't go to 20 rounds or, or whatever it is. You know, if that's the way our season is going, if that's the way MotoGP expands into the future, then that's the way it should be. You know, it's a case of manage the, 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 the talent, the, the talent you have in the paddock, so that they do have safe and, and healthy lives within the paddock. <laughs> Wouldn't be a bad thing to stick some decent toilets in the paddock to start with. You take a lot of stress out of you with that one. 
you know, like there are lots of things you can do to make life a little bit easier in the paddock. I've got to say, still, you know, management have have a responsibility to manage the health of your. I'm not saying that that we should wear all of our techs out. You know, I'm saying what we should do is manage them better, look after them better, and give them the opportunity still to do the work that we need to do to get this thing where it needs to be. Or is that being unreasonable? Maybe that's a, that made me throw that open to to everybody out there, Harry, because you know. I, I, Am I taking a hard line on this? Am I being slightly unreasonable? I don't think so. It's it's certainly, you're right. A lot of people currently working in the sport, in various motorsports, hate the idea. You know, obviously I look at the Formula One side of things, you know, that's 20, expects to be 23 races this year. Already it looks like that could very easily go to 25 next year. And the argument possibly is because of various budgets and cost caps coming in that they won't be able to sort of have a you know certain crew members working the first 10 races then they can swap them and they can work from the the factory back in the back at base and then another you know employ another whole set of people to come work at the car so it's a cost thing as well that might implement your idea of being able to sort of manage it on a on a health kind of basis but I am inclined to agree with you in a way, you know, if it's managed well, then I don't see the issue of having more races, regardless of, of how long your calendar is. But then again, you know, is, you know, are you going to want to watch a 30 race MotoGP calendar? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No problem. Yeah. I, it, I, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself when it comes to the, the, the hardships that you have in the paddock. It isn't, it isn't quite... <laughs> It isn't quite the glorious place that you might think it is. It is bloody hard work, but no. it's what we do and it's what mm. we get paid well for. I mean, I, I've missed the birth of two of my children because of MotoGP. You know, out of the four I've got, I've only ever seen two of them being born. I mean, and it is what it is. You know, it, your family are a part of the deal that you've done to be where you are. If you If you can't cope with it or don't want to do it for that reason, then... Perhaps you need to, to, to be based in the UK to do a UK-based job or something along those lines. I mean, mm-hmm. what or whichever country you come from, obviously. Um, it is a tough job, and it takes a lot to do and a certain type of person to do it. But holding back the That's sport... That's the thing. Holding back the sport because of, the, the, you know, because of that is, is not an option from, from where I'm sitting. Yeah, I think you, you, that, that, you, that is... The, the point I think you make well you know you've got to be a certain type of person and you know from, from my perspective I don't know about yours Pete coming from a sort of more written journalist perspective because you do you know when you're in the paddock you have a different experience to the broadcast team for sure or to the riders or to the team personnel the catering whoever it is everyone has a different experience when they go into a paddock it you work me on the broadcast side you know I work weekends and that's my issue and I have to plan around that if I want to see my mates if I want to see my family you know I and but that's my bed and i've made it and i'm happy to sit down in that and and reap the the consequences of that as it it may come because i love the job so much what about you from your perspective as you say harry it's it's different with everybody doesn't it one thing i I always remember is being on a flight to philip island and seeing danilo petrucci who, who was riding at the time i think for iota you know in the economy seats with a hoodie over his head and you're thinking this guy's going to be on the bike in a day and he's been bumped by everybody going to the toilets and everything else. You know, there's so many different situations. You can't, I think you can't generalize it. If you're sitting in first class and you're flying around like the, like most of the top riders do, I mean, I'm sure it's no issue for them. And, and Mir, Mir, Joanne Mir is also racist. He goes, look, for us, it's not really that big a deal. You know, we travel, we travel pretty well. But if you're a, a 
a Moto 2 mechanic, a Moto 3 mechanic, it's a very different job. It's a very different lifestyle, you know, arriving somewhere, not having slept on the plane or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's a different thing, isn't it? In, in those situations, I think coming back to the question, I think the, the bit that the good thing about Keith's idea of delaying the homologation is it wouldn't affect this at all, would it? We could still have the same number of tests. You know, you wouldn't need to increase the tests because they'd be able to try these parts during the race weekends, during these opening race weekends. So you wouldn't be putting any bird, extra burden on anybody. And then you make the cutoff point for the bike, the start of the European season. So I think that would be a good compromise for, for not having to do another test, you know, putting on another test. You just let people test during the race weekend, which again, increases the interest also for everybody because, oh, what, what's that team trying? What, you know, what engine have they got? What chassis have they got? And then you see the final package at the start of what would be coming up this weekend in Portimao. So for me, that's a good compromise. You know, delaying the homologation is a good way to fix this issue of you know, increasing races, but, but not, you know, not taking away all the testing. Quick one on the economy class thing. I know a team <laughs> member who basically did a deal with his team to fly economy class if they gave him the difference in cash. So, <laughs> so if you can stand economy class, it can be profitable. <laughs> exactly. You can, yeah, when it's the off season, you can no names, no names for a nice little holiday. No names mentioned, but he's a very well-known man. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? It's, it's actually a really interesting debate i think to have so do get in touch in the comments let us know you know do you have sympathy for the people that work in the paddock when they complain about you know long-haul flights working all sorts of hours do you have sympathy for them or or is it just as, as keith says you know it's part of the job they make you know you make your bed and you lie in it so let us you know, know what? That one. getting across you again harry sorry to butt in but that's really my no, job no. <laughs> the I, I don't know who these people are that complain because i don't hear them you know, you walk around the paddock. I see it. You know, you, it's not something that's a, it's not high on the list of complaints in a paddock from what I, uh, what from my experience. I mean, it, you know, they kind of dig in like everybody else does. I mean, what Pete says is absolutely right. When you're traveling economy class to halfway across the world and you get up the next morning and you're out of your time zone and you've got to get on a 200 mile an hour motorbike, that's a big deal. I always used to be impressed with the likes of Fogarty and Co. when they used to do that in World Superbikes back in the day. You know, you, they, they, they travel at the last minute, land, race, fly home again. And, and again, if you're if you are in economy class where you're getting bumped and barged, which you always are in economy class anyway, or you've got some kid that's banging the back of your seat or whatever it might be, I, we should do a list on pet hates on flying because I've got a bloody long list. <laughs> um, but I mean, the point being is is that when you travel in business class, which most do and a lot of the mechanics do as well, out of the bigger teams, business class or first class, if you get upgraded. You lay down, you have a sleep. You still don't sleep well because you don't sleep well because you're on an aeroplane. Your nose is like concrete because it's dried out when you get to the other end anyway. And if you're on one of them airlines that turn the oxygen down on the overnight flights as well, you wake up in the morning with heart palpitations trying to get breath, you know, <laughs> trying to get some oxygen. In. You, you, flying is, is an absolute art form, being able to do it well. Um, but the point being yeah, I, is that it, 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 it must be managed better. Maybe, maybe you know, I, I've not seen or heard that much dissent in the paddock. I think the biggest dissent that I've heard is when the season is lengthened and the mechanics that are on factory contracts are not paid more for it. Now that I've, you know, I've heard that many, many times in the paddock where the season is around longer, but within the mechanics contract, 
they're still getting paid the same money. Now that's wrong and shouldn't be, but it has happened. And funny enough, the first person I heard that from was from a Yamaha person when it got increased in length and uh, they weren't paid more money for their extra. Needless to say that some of those boys aren't in the paddock anymore. Well, and, and then it does come back to the management side of things. You know, the sport will inevitably grow. They want to be in more countries. They want to be more present in areas where it is politically and, and financially beneficial for them. And if that means more races and that means more races and it's then got to be managed by the people in charge so that the personnel can do that, isn't it? The only times I've ever seen complaints, really, it's been on social media, and dare I say it's perhaps escalated because it's on social media. I wonder how actually big of an issue it is for people actually there in the paddock, if, if, if it, as you say, Keith, if it's even a talking point at all. I think it might be very much people looking in and going, oh, you know, you shouldn't complain about, you know, being tired or whatever. Why, you know, the, the driver crashed the car and the mechanic's got to do an overnight or whatever it is. Sorry, that's the F1 talking there. But it's certainly the F1 side of things that I've seen where the complaints have come more from. Um, but yeah, let us know uh, what you think as well. It'd be really fascinating to, to get those things in. I think we could talk about that one for quite a while. Um, but we're going to move on to a bit of Moto2 and Moto3 chat because we've had a question come in uh, from Crumbly Mal. Excellent name. Um, guys, got to ask the question, how are Scott Ogden and Josh Watley getting on in Moto3? And is John McPhee going to be back in Portimao? Scott Ogland's been a revelation for me. I think he's been very good. I think it's in the deep end for both Josh and Scott, but I think Scott Ogden is, um, is punching well above his weight. I think it's great. Brand spanking new team. You know, brand, brand, everything is brand spanking new, uh, right the way from top to bottom regarding that team. And I think Scott's done a great job. Josh has got a little bit of catching up to do, but, you know, he's been professional and, and working hard at it. I think great little team doing good. John McPhee, he's on the entry list. I looked at the entry list this morning that came into uh, into my office. Um, McPhee is not replaced. He's on the entry list. So back injury. Now, there's something I can absolutely personally talk about back injuries because I've had it um, with, you know, squash vertebrae and bits of squidgy bits sticking out the side of the, the bony bits and so on and so forth. And uh, it's something you just cannot get over quickly. You know, it's a situation where, Whatever you move, your head, your arms, your feet, your toes, it seems to be all connected through your back one way or another. Um, and riding a motorbike, even a motor three, is, is going to be a tough ask if he's still got uh, back issues. You've got to wait for it to stabilise, which I'm sure he has. Wait for it to settle down. He's a muscly little sod, so he'll be, he'll be fine. It will, it will hold together quite neat and tidy. But you don't want to risk any further injury too quickly on something like that. Port him out. What a racetrack to be coming back at. Fantastic racetrack, but so many opportunities to fire yourself to the moon out of some of those corners. Yeah, I was just going to say, Scott Ogden, I think, has done really well. I think it reminds me, we were talking about Bezeki and, and Darren Binder as having also done something special in a few practice sessions where it just catches your eye, doesn't it? And you think, hello, you know, there's something there. And I think Scott Ogden's been a bit like that in Moto3, isn't he? He scored points already. These, these first races, the overseas ones, are always a bit tougher, aren't they? Now we're going into Europe tracks that they'll be a bit more familiar with. And I think, you know, this is where they can really get, get comfortable with the team, with the bike, with the championship. But I think it's been, yeah, it's been an impressive start. 
Uh, and then if we look at Moto2 as well, there was a lot of chat coming in about Jake Dixon, who of course got his first Grand Prix podium last time out in Kota. Do you think that's going to be a bit of a, a springboard for him, Keith? Do you think that's going to unleash a whole wave of Jake Dixon, Dixon results? I do. I really genuinely do. I mean, it should have happened in Le Mans, shouldn't it, a couple of years ago when he looked like he got the thing won, but um, chucked it away. I mean, you'll be mortified by even me mentioning that again. But the fact is, Jake is a superb rider. He was great on a superbike. Um and he moved across into the arena that is a real shark pit. Um, looked like he wouldn't have a deal that lasted longer than a year at one point. Thankfully, they kept him on. It would have been cruel to have dumped him out of the Grand Prix scene and back into wherever he would have ended up back into. But I think now he's established as a top-line Moto2 racer. And I can see him from here having a little nibble at those MotoGP rides as well. You know, he's a, he's a big bike rider, Jake. And I think that, that if he can get consistently a few more podiums this year, people are going to start looking at Jake Dixon again very, very seriously. He's got great personality, great presence in the paddock. He's good in a team. You know, he, he, he comes from a background of proper race people. You know, he's married into racing people as well. Sarah is obviously from that background too. You know, the, the whole job for Jake Dixon, I just feel that that, that you know, podium now, He's always believed in himself. A little bit of a wobble, I think, back in when he banged his head and all the rest of it, and Pasini took over for him for a while. And then when he came back from that, he was stronger. I think he's made a step, and I think he'll make another one yet. I think you mentioned it perfectly, Keith, all those setbacks that he's had, isn't he? And you just thought, you know, is he going to do it? Well, now, you know, he's got there. He's got the podium. He's got that under his belt. And he's, as you say, he's been consistently fast, hasn't he? Almost every race weekend we've seen so far, these four, He's been up there. He's been showing what he can do. So, yeah, I think he's he's looking really strong this year. He seems to really gel with that Aspar team as well, isn't he? He seems that he's really comfortable there, which is so important for a rider, isn't it? That they that they feel like they're part of that team. They're happy. They're relaxed. Whenever the camera shows him in the pits, he's pretty much always smiling. And, uh, you know, a happy rider is a fast rider, as we're seeing so far. Certainly is. Well, we'll see how it all unfolds this weekend, Keith. We're back in Portugal, as we've said, first time uh, in Europe for 2022 to kickstart that leg of the season. What are you looking for? What are you hoping for? What will Portugal uh, bring us? Hopefully it won't bring us any um, gales and the like, because sometimes it can be a bit drafty there, that's for sure. Um, Tracking good condition, I'm hoping for. Fantastic racetrack, uphill, down dale. I mean, so many. Yeah, Craig Jones Corner. It's it's a track that I would, you know. Craig Jones did a lot of development testing over there when the track was in its infancy. Was sponsored by by by. It was sponsored by Portimao. If you remember the late now great Craigie Jones, who, who died very very early in his career at Brands Hatch. You know, a massive loss to British motorbike racing. Um, Jones had a lot to do with that. So I, I kind of I always have a you know this track for me is is one that's heartfelt. In fact, it's the only track that, that I've had very, very little to do with, apart from through Craig back in the day. But I think it's, it's one of those race tracks. I think we're going to see the Yamaha back on it. I think for me, Quattararo is 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 going to be my my prediction for a win. Um, got that one in as well. So I've got Alaysh in third, yeah, and I've got go. Quattararo win. <laughs> Catch up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just I think that it's a race track that suits to a great extent the Yamaha again it's a real riders track as well just hope the conditions stay good that's that's my only worry uh, you know like it, it can be changeable there sometimes 
we've already been there three times, haven't we? It's gone from being a brand new track that we were all really excited to see MotoGP at in, in 2020, and now already this will be the fourth visit, won't it? So it's a familiar track it's it's becoming, but uh, as he says, really popular, you know, that, that whole roller coaster sort of layout, isn't it? And I think I think there's been three different winners, haven't there, so far? I don't think we've had a repeat winner in these in these three races to date. So yeah, I mean, that first year when Oliveira, the local star on the Tectoire KTM, we talked about Tectoire earlier, I mean, they couldn't have had a better weekend. It was almost like a, a Marc Marquez Cota weekend of, of years past that Oliveira had there. But then came back at the start of 21, and, and I think the front tyre allocation or the tyre allocation had changed, and it was all completely different again, and, and Quattararo won. So there's to see where Keith's predictions are uh, coming in. So yeah, Quattararo is fast around there. Banyaya won the last time in November. Uh, yeah, really, really uh, exciting track to watch at, and and again, everybody we, we keep hearing, you know, wait for the start of the European season, and everything else. Well, now it's now it's arriving. So, you know, there's some guys that we haven't seen on the podium yet. Mia Banyaya, uh, Morbidelli, we were talking about Marquez. Obviously, we know his problems, but so there's a lot of guys arriving here. With I don't know whether you'd say not panic button, certainly for some of them, but you'd be pretty concerned because usually the championship. I think if you look at the statistics, gets wrapped up before the half. The guy leading by the halfway stage, more often than not, is the guy that goes on to win. And and you know, so now it's a crucial time. You can't when you're where's Banyaya? Thirty eight points behind. I mean, that's a lot of points to make up. I mean, okay, Mark is also a long way behind, but we know what he can do when he gets on his stride. So, I think there's a there's a lot riding on these next few races. This start of the European season. Fifteen races, Pete. Long way yet. <laughs> 15 races. <laughs> We've only had four. <laughs> I, I, I know, Keith, but I, I remember we looked back at the, because the 2020 season was really short, wasn't it? It was only 14 rounds. So I remember we went, right, well, what would happen if we only had 14 rounds for the other seasons before that? And it turned out that I think it was, there'd been two exceptions where there'd been a change of, of title lead after about round 12. And that was 2015 and 2017. And that was it. The guy leading at round 12 had won the title all of the other seasons of MotoGP. Not to say it's going to happen, you know, we know everything changes. But as I say, it just shows what that winning confidence can do, that confidence of having a good start to the season that, that Keith mentioned. Once you're, if you're a Bastianini, you've won two out of the opening four races. That can transform your season just by that having that good start. And I think that's that's what you see in terms of the, the World Championship quite often. So I think these guys, you know, it's a long way to go. But I don't know, history sort of suggests that it's harder to catch someone when they've got that really good head start that winning start to the year. Well, not long to go until we find out what exactly happens this weekend. Now, before we get predictions in, I just want sort of a, a one-liner from you both on your biggest surprises so far from these opening four rounds. Keith? Oh, Bastianini. Bastianini's absolutely nailed it. <laughs> I mean, sorry, Pete, I stole that straight out of your mouth, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you did. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> You could add that as well, Pete, if you want. If it's so big, uh, well, well, it has to be Bastianini too. Bastianini and Aleish winning on the Aprilia. Yeah. Those yeah. would be the two for me, yeah. All right, then. Well, now, I think, Keith, do you want to just tell us your order for your podium? Because you pretty much already got the whole prediction <laughs> in already. So, <laughs> your one, Quart two, three, please. Quattro, Bastianini, and I, I was going to go Aleish or Mia, but I'm going to go Aleish. Okay, Aleish. Yeah, that's a strong podium. Be a good podium as well. Pete? Who's left? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll put I'll put Bastianini on top then. So I think he's, you know, that bike won in the hands of Banyaya back in November. So I think, especially if, if tyre wear comes into play, which it might do. We saw how good he was at that in Cota. So Bastianini first. Mia's 
been good at this track previously as well. I'll go for him second and I'll keep faith with Banyaya to get this podium that is rather overdue now, I think. So I'll put him third. Okay. And I'm I'm just going, I'm seeing a double Suzuki. I'm one, two. Suzuki, one, two. Wow. Rins and Mir, one and two. Bassinini, third. I think this is the weekend. They come to the forefront. Got to do something to get us, a point on the board. None of us have picked Mark Marquez, isn't it? That, that, and that, again, no. that shows, you know. This was the track where he made his comeback a year ago, wasn't it? So it'd be interesting to see what yeah. he can do this time around. But still, you know, it's it just shows how much things have changed. Yeah, of course he, None of us picked Mark for a podium. He hadn't ridden this track when he came back last year. I think that yeah. it was his first was time here as well, wasn't it, last year? So uh, yeah. it's not a bad shout, seven. but I, I just don't think that they're, they're, they're or thereabouts at the moment. Um, and maybe a little bit of yeah, rest. I think, I think with might... that, that front end, isn't it, with all those corners. And it might do him good not to bang one. his head again. I'd say so. Well then, um, not long to wait, as I've already said about five times, because I'm very excited. So uh, that just about brings us to the end, though. Make sure, though, you're tuned in across the Crash.net um, website for all the latest news and analysis across the rest of this week. And then we'll be back with you next week, straight after the race. Uh, get your questions in, leave them in the comments section or tweet Instagram or Facebook us. Just search Crash GP. Leave us a review as well, if you can, wherever you get your podcasts as well. Uh, and we shall see you right back here next week to discuss all things Portugal. From myself, Harry Benjamin, from Keith Ewan, and from Pete McLaren. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.